Welcome to Making America Strong Again, the only program dedicated to inspire you and to inspire a nation with stories of American exceptionalism and national restoration. Join fellow patriots as we rediscover our past, reignite our future, and celebrate America now. Well, welcome to Making America Strong Again. This is Steve Olds. It's my privilege to welcome you to our studios in South Florida. And we're excited to be with you today for a number of reasons. We've been talking over the last couple of weeks about servant leadership and what it really means for individuals to begin to recognize the value that we each have in the marketplace, to our families, and to our communities. We've also talked about the heroes in our world, the folks that that we know in our local communities, and we've defined heroes as individuals that will stand between you and me in the face of danger. Those people like police officers who will stand between you and me against that bad guy, or the firefighter that walks into a burning building to save you or me or our family members. We've also talked about our military heroes, those that have been willing to step up, to raise the right hand, to swear to defend the Constitution of the United States, and then to stand by us and take on those individuals in our world that would threaten us in many different ways. Throughout our history, we've heard stories of men and women that have gone in the face of danger and have done things that have created just amazing experiences and stories that help us understand so that we can teach our next generation. And part of the reason for our radio program is to be able to share these powerful stories. It's one of the ways that we celebrate America now. We begin to hear people that have had amazing experiences, exceptional Americans, to help us really appreciate times in our history where we've never been there. We can't always be everywhere all the time. We don't necessarily know the people that have been there and done that. And so periodically through our radio program and through a number of our events around the country, we're going to bring you conversations with people who have done amazing things in our country. And today it is a privilege to introduce Brigadier General Robert Stewart, who is one of those heroes. General, thanks for being with us today. Well, it's my pleasure, Steve. General, you have a very interesting background. First of all, I, one of the things I was most intrigued about was the fact that uh, you love woodworking, <laughs> and I love it. I love it as well. But we'll get to that towards the end of the program, because what really got my attention in the conversations that you and Brent have had over the recent weeks, your experience as a an army officer in the mid '60s, uh, you spent a fair amount of your time in the. Um, flying choppers, over a 1,000 combat hours in helicopters in Vietnam. Give us a little idea, especially for those that aren't really familiar with the Vietnam era, what was it like for you as a young guy getting ready to go into flight school to learn how to fly choppers? What was your, kind of what were you thinking? What was your expectation? Well, it was not a shock to me, Steve, because I started flying uh, airplanes when I was in high school and sort of... Uh, it was a natural thing for me to want to continue that flying career, either in the Air Force or the Army. I was Army-oriented since uh, my ancestors, one generation back, 
were soldiers during World War II, and I wanted to follow in their footsteps. And it was uh, extremely exciting to me to find out that the Army had the largest air force in the world, and therefore they needed some pilots. So I figured I would be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I'm curious. I've never flown a chopper. I've flown in the chopper, but never actually flown them. I've only flown fixed-wing aircraft. What is it, um, what's it like learning how to fly a helicopter? Well, I tell you, I, I had over a thousand hours, <clears throat> excuse me, of fixed wing time before I went to helicopter school. So I thought I would just grab a hold of this helicopter and just fly almost naturally. Uh, how wrong I was! It, it, uh, that helicopter grabbed a hold of me and didn't turn loose for about ten hours. <laughs> by my soloed, I had been humbled, greatly humbled by that machine. Uh, helicopters are a very difficult machine, much more difficult. Uh, to transition from one helicopter to another helicopter than from one airplane to another airplane. Now, you've flown, you know, over 30 different, 38 different types of, of aircraft, and was yeah. most of that all in the, uh, other than your, your fixed-wing experience uh, before going into the Army, was most of that in, in helicopter-type uh, aircraft? Oh, no, before going into the Army, it was all fixed-wing, uh, small fixed-wing uh, it was after I learned to fly helicopters, did a combat tour in Vietnam, became an experimental test pilot, that those numbers of airplanes uh, began increasing. As an experimental test pilot, you get to fly a lot of things. So you were at Pax River when you did the uh, test pilot work, weren't you? Yes, at the Navy Test Pilot School. So what what did you do in that that environment? Were you testing combat capabilities? Were you testing different types of aircraft for different ceilings and diff different performance characteristics? What was it like being a test pilot? Uh, yes, all of the above. Uh, one of the jobs of a test pilot is to evaluate a particular airframe, being it, be it a helicopter or a fixed-wing airplane, against a specific mission. There is no uh, set criteria and they rely quite a bit on the experience of the test pilot uh, in his ability to project the performance and the handling qualities characteristics of that aircraft into a combat environment. So in your experience, you would go into that particular mission, you would have an objective for that test flight, and then you'd be able to go up, take the airplane up, take that aircraft or that chopper into the air pursuing those objectives and then come back and, and go through a thorough debrief and then begin to communicate to your team members what you experienced and what it was like. Is that anywhere close? Yes, not only the team members, but also the manufacturer. Uh, the, one of the easy ways to figure the job of a test pilot is he represents the designer to the operational community and he represents the operational community to the designer. So he's, he's sort of the middleman in there. So you had to have not only superior flying skills, but superior communication skills as well, I would imagine. I would say that's a good assessment. Not only that, but uh, usually uh, you have to have a pretty good bit of operational experience because you can't really project a mission unless you have done missions. Now, in the test pilot school, one of the things that we had to learn was to take a mission that we had never flown uh, find out what it entailed, usually by talking to people who had flown that mission, and then proceed with that uh, knowledge in evaluating the aircraft. For instance, my uh, final exam at the test pilot school was to fly an SH-3 helicopter, which I'd never 
uh, been in before for an anti-submarine mission, which I had never flown before. And if you get through that final exam at the test pilot school, you get to have a lot of fun in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds as though you made it through with flying colors. I think so, yes. <laughs> Well, General, one of the things that is really important to us as we walk through this is to begin to connect some of those dots, perhaps much like you did with your civilian counterparts and being able to paint pictures for people who weren't in those aircraft with you. Part of our challenge is beginning to describe for the next generation what the experience of being an American was like in the mid-60s. What you just described for us in just a couple of minutes, coming out of Rotary School, going into over a thousand combat hours in Vietnam and translating that experience as a test pilot. The idea that you would volunteer and step into a combat role, especially in a war that looking back on it, depending on which version of history you hear, and unfortunately a lot of people are not getting accurate history, which is a whole other discussion. But for you, tell us what it was like as a young guy volunteering to step up and fly combat missions in Vietnam. I had one thought in my foremost in my mind, Steve, uh, and that is every time I looked in the mirror to shave in the morning, on those mornings when I had a mirror to look into, it was that I would measure up to the legacy that was left to me by my predecessors. Uh, all of my uh, uncles and my father uh, served in World War II, so that was quite a quite a legacy to live up to. And my prayer was that I wouldn't let those guys down. So the the challenge of dealing with enemy hostile environment and taking care of your buddies and serving the mission all came down to the personal leadership and that personal connection. And it's interesting you talk about the man in the mirror because that's been our focal point the opportunity to look at the guy in the mirror and realize that we have to step up. We're the ones that have to make a decision every day to step up and engage. And that's exactly what you did. Now, that being said, uh, the first thing I did when I uh, got to the platoon, uh, I was a first lieutenant. There were a lot of senior warrant officers there that knew the mission, obviously, much better than I had. They were about ready to go home. I was just getting there. So I, uh, I sort of attached myself to a guy, uh, Chief Warrant Officer 2, named Jack Milovic, who is now Dr. Jack Milovic, by the way, and uh, basically <coughs> excuse me, asked him to show me how to fight that fire team in Vietnam. Now, obviously, I was the lieutenant. I was senior in rank. It was my responsibility. Jack was obviously much senior to me and experience and knowledge. So I think that one of the key elements of being a leader in a situation like that is being able to know where your skills are lacking and where you can make up that skill, because ultimately it is your responsibility. But uh, finding the subject matter expert is uh, quite helpful. So in your experience, you tapped into the knowledge base of the people on your team and the people around you so that you could not only improve your skills but focus on the mission and serve your teammates in that process. Would that be accurate? Oh, absolutely accurate. Uh, one of the most discouraging things is when I see a young person, just because he is in a leadership position, assume that he knows everything better than anyone working for him. Uh, 
if a leader's success is going to be determined by the success of the mission. And uh, so, therefore, the leader has to be able to determine when his ideas are not the best and when he should uh, look to other people for advice. Well, General Stewart, these are powerful insights, and we're going to go to a break here in just a second. But when we come back, we'll come back together, and then we'll begin to delve into how you applied your test pilot and your combat experience to something that is a remarkable, uh, I just can't even imagine it, the, the role of being a mission specialist on a couple of the space shuttles. So we will be right back. Making America Strong Again is brought to you by Patriot Mission. To learn more about national restoration, get free resources at www.makingamericastrongagain.com. This is Steve Schwartz with pdgo.com. We've been in business for over 15 years and have created over 1,000 websites for clients across the USA and across the world. We help our clients have a custom, affordable website, and we teach them personally how they can very easily update the information on their websites themselves anytime they want to without being a techie. Take a look at pdgo.com and see samples of our work and testimonials that clients have said about our service. pdgo.com. Again, pdgo.com. At SurfPro of Vero Beach, no job is too big and no question is too small. So when fire, water, or mold damage strikes your home or business, call on SurfPro of Vero Beach at 772-770-0501. That's where you'll find a team of specialists that's faster to any size disaster. So when the things that matter most are on the line, make sure SurfPro of Vero Beach is too by calling 772-770-0501. That's SurfPro of Vero Beach helping make fire, water, and mold damage like it never, ever happened. Franchises are independently owned and operated. Hi, this is Kelly Fisher, a supporter of the Making America Strong Again mission and your local real estate professional here on the Treasure Coast. It has been my honor to serve our community here in Vero Beach since 2003, and with over 1,500 home sales over the past 21 years, it's my hope that you will consider the Kelly Fisher team at Treasure Coast Sotheby's International Realty for all your real estate needs. It's also our desire that every family has a home and every home has a family. And we have partnered with the Homeless Family Center of Vero Beach to work toward that goal. When you buy or sell a home with the Kelly Fisher team, we will make a substantial contribution toward alleviating homelessness in our hometown. To be a part of this great mission, please call us at 772-321-6905. Welcome back to Making America Strong Again, the program dedicated to inspire you and to inspire a nation with stories of American exceptionalism and national restoration. Once again, here's your host, Steve Olds. Well, thanks again for being with us today. It is my honor to be with Brigadier General Robert Stewart. General, thanks for uh, being with us today. My pleasure, Steve. So, General, one of the things that we talked about in the last segment was your view of the man in the mirror when it came to leadership, the way you applied your perspective and the interest in making your your dad, your uncles, and all the people that you knew coming up who served in World War II. You wanted to make them proud and to do your job the best you could when you went into the Army to fly in combat and then ultimately as a test pilot. Then you had the opportunity to translate that experience and that perspective 
into becoming an astronaut. What, how did you get the idea that you wanted to pursue the astronaut career field? Well, uh, I was an experimental test pilot at uh, Edwards Air Force Base, and I uh, was mad at the Army. Uh, so I figured that I wanted to get out of this organization. I uh, walked down the uh, aisle one day at, in our office, and I saw this blue notice on the bulletin board. It says, NASA's looking for space shuttle crews. I read the criteria, found that I met them all. So I submitted my application along with 24,000 other people that year and uh, ultimately was one of the 35 uh, selected. Uh, turns out that my tour with NASA really gave me a, an appreciation for how well the Army and the Department of Defense really is run as compared to uh, civilian agencies. Um, I'm sure I'll get I'll get letters and cards coming in from that one, but uh, that's the fact. <laughs> well, we we have this thing here. We just like to throw it on the table, and the good news is we just say it straight, and it is what it is, and that's uh, part of what we're here for. But we're, we're interested in and doing what we can to make America strong again and to create solutions. And part of it is you can't whitewash stuff. When it doesn't work well, we got to talk about it. But absolutely true. Absolutely. One of the things that is that is most exciting is the, the whole idea of being an astronaut. I mean, I grew up in the Apollo era. As a little kid, I can remember the space shots. But the space shuttle was just absolutely amazing. And so as a, as a young guy in school, remembering what it was like when the space shuttle went up, it, was, it, it just it brought chills to my my spine. Now you flew both on Challenger and Atlantis, and right. I can't. I mean, I can't imagine what that was like. So, why don't you tell us what that experience was like? What were the What were the high points for you? Well, the high points for for me were not the actual flight itself, um, if you can believe it or not. Uh, my experience as an experimental test pilot uh, led uh, T.K. Mattingly, who was the technical director of the office when I got there to give me the job of developing the space shuttle's entry flight control system and uh, are monitoring that development. Uh, of course, Rockwell engineers did the actual development. But um, in that capacity, it put me in a position, again, of being uh, an experimental test pilot. And uh, you end up arm wrestling with upper management. Now, I'm not saying this to challenge upper management or anything, but... In, in any program, there are segments of that program that have different objectives. Uh, NASA management was interested in maintaining costs and schedule. I was more interested in getting my friends back alive from that first flight. And we butted heads quite severely uh, in a lot of times. So I think that uh, you know you really have to be willing to go to the mat against people that are much more powerful than you, much having a much higher rank in the organization than yourself. But if you are the subject matter expert, which I considered myself to be, it was my job as an experimental test pilot to lay it on the table, lay it on the table and let the chips fall where they may, so to speak. Well, you also had the conviction, knowing full well as a subject matter expert, you would be derelict in your duty if you sugarcoated the reality of what everybody was facing, especially when it came to the life and death matter of taking the space shuttle off the Earth? Oh, there, there are absolutely too many yes-men in the industrial complex today that are not willing to stand on their own two feet and bark when something needs to be barked at. 
the question is uh, picking that uh, that subject carefully because you can't fight every battle. So you pick your battles, you fight the ones that are absolutely essential to win, and the ones that really don't make a great deal of difference, you kind of let them roll off. Well, General, one of the things that, that we talk about frequently, as you can imagine, is looking out at our country today, we're facing some extraordinary challenges with 94 million people out of the workforce, $18 trillion in debt, a shrinking military growing towards the size of pre-World War One. just all kinds of really unimaginable consequences of decisions that have been made by leaders on both sides of the aisle for all sorts of reasons. The question isn't necessarily what did they do and why did they screw it up. The question is what are we going to do about it? And so our perspective is right now in the grassroots of America, there are tens of millions of people who are willing to be led by people that understand that America is a gift. It's, we believe it's a gift from God that we have the opportunity to be Americans and to step up and to show our kin and our kindred spirits what the future could be like if we stand together and we learn from one another. One of the biggest challenges is when we don't learn the lessons of the past. So your experience dealing with a bureaucracy is one thing. Your experience of being on that shuttle, being on the maiden voyage of Atlantis, being one of the first guys that actually did an extravehicular activity. What, what was it like to actually get out of the space shuttle and float around in space? It was, a, it was a sense of absolute freedom, Steve. Now, uh, you know, our training and my technical background led me to believe absolutely in the laws of physics. I uh, was part of the development of the space shuttle, of the, excuse me, of the manned maneuvering unit, so I was comfortable with everything that that uh, vehicle was capable of doing. And so it was very, uh, I felt very secure out there. A lot of people don't understand that, uh, all alone in space going 17,500 miles an hour, a million feet above the surface of the Earth, being a very relaxing time, but it actually was. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't quite show up for me on my radar screen as relaxing, but, <laughs> but that's, that's pretty amazing. That is amazing. What was the biggest lesson that you took walking away from space in the last minute or so that we have? Oh, I don't know. I, I know that there are a lot of people that wax poetic about the view from space and everything, but I just felt that I was part of a great adventure, uh, just as many people that went before me were part of great adventures, and I was just uh, very humble to be there. But I look back and see that my entire life, my entire career, was aimed at building to this point. It doesn't just happen overnight and all of a sudden you're, you're thrust there. And I think that it was... Uh, it was God's plan, and I did my best to follow that plan. Amen, General. Well, I can tell you that I wish we had another couple of hours to visit and, and to share your stories with those on, the, uh, on our podcast and on our radio program, and hopefully we'll get a chance to meet and talk in more detail and learn more about your stories. But, th but thank you so much for being with us today. Love this, Steve. Good day. So, ladies and gentlemen, we've heard from General Robert Stewart about what it was like to step up and lead to look at the man he saw in the mirror, and to take action in a way that few people ever do. You may never have the opportunity to meet an experimental test pilot that's flown 38 airplanes, including two shuttles. But I can tell you that when we learn from those who have been there before us, America will become a stronger place. We invite you to journey with us as we reach inside and move forward in our adventure of making America strong again. 
Thanks for being with us today. Making America Strong Again is brought to you by Patriot Mission. To learn more about national restoration, get free resources at www.makingamericastrongagain.com. 